Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover Triple H versus Cactus Jack at the Garden. It's Royal Rumble 2000. Kyush, is this not the best of times for WWE wrestling? Boy, if you look at 1999, that's such a strong financial year that is nonetheless a mostly creatively bankrupt pile of fucking garbage from start to finish. And then right here at the Rumble, it seems like it turns a corner into the most majestically beautiful two years in wrestling history. They just absolutely hit their stride with the McMahon-Helmsley regime. Like, that is absolutely the turning point where these shows go from still pretty from being pretty crappy to just uh, the TV is unbelievably entertaining. And the writing is so tight from there on. And it's just about a perfect year of wrestling they put together here. Like, untouchable. Like, especially, like, from Backlash 2000 to WrestleMania 2001 is the greatest period we will ever see. They rock every single pay-per-view in that time period. Fuck, pay-per-view? Raw and SmackDown are riveting every week. God, yeah. Just absolutely love this stuff. This is... Maybe the peak of my fandom. It's fun. We went from 95 last week to 2000, and we go from really the peak of your fandom to the peak of mine. And that's the funny thing is that, like, the the product gets so hot here that it actually brought me back because it sounded so good I couldn't stay away anymore. Fully loaded 2000 is when I come back. Oh, that's such a great pay-per-view. We covered that a million years ago, in fact, on this show. Yeah, that's that's probably one we'll revisit at some point. Maybe we at some point here we may just need to do a 2000 season. It's just boy, how that should be like a reward after we do a season of absolute garbage. It's like, let's just watch some good good all year. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, we'll have all that to talk about. But first, we've got some very, very strange wrestling news to talk about this week. Oh, boy. This this week was like a lightning round in and of itself. Uh, what I'm, should have been a fairly hopeful week with two very big independent shows. Yeah, instead revealed to us what a cesspool pro wrestling is, has always been, and will continue to be. Yep. All right, we'll start with New Japan Battle in the Valley. Um this was their USA show. I I haven't gotten around to watching any of this yet. Although it sounds like um, sounds like Okada versus Osprey was pretty awesome, but the rest of the show is missable. Let me be perfectly clear. Like New Japan America is not good. Garbage. It's missing all of the things that makes New Japan New Japan. Like you can bring the talent over all you want. But, like, at the end of the day, like, it doesn't have the same camera work, it doesn't have the same production, it doesn't have the same fans, and there's just something about being in Japan in those venues that makes guys step their game up that's just not the same when they're in America. It's not. Um, I just think their American talent is awful when you look at who's on these cards. I just want to be clear, like, I, I hate to disparage people like this. We're a positive podcast, but the New Japan strong talent is fucking <laughs> terrible, unwatchably bad. Like, if you can't get signed to WWE or AEW or NXT or even, God forbid, TNA at this point, like, they're bringing in guys from MLW. Yeah. And, like, 
and that, that's the funny thing. It's like, and then you see like the New Japan and AEW talent next to those other guys. You're like, those guys fucking suck even worse because of the comparison. There's a match in here where Shota Umino is tagging with Jacob Fatu and Fred Rosser against Team Filthy. And Shota Umino looks like the fucking rock next to all of these guys. <laughs> the big news coming out of this show is Jack Perry debut, and he ripped up his AEW contract and put on an armband that said scapegoat. Yeah, he jumped Umino. Uh, Security thought he was a fan. Yep, because he was wearing like a lucha mask or something. He mouths into the camera, why didn't you return my calls, Tony? God, fuck off. Like, must we do this? Must we? And why on earth would New Japan sign Jungle Boy? That's the thing, is that like, if this is a shoot... And he actually is going to be working for – and it's not a shoot. But if it's like a Brian Pillman thing where he's going to go work for New Japan for a while and then come back to AEW, I don't understand what's in it for New Japan. Oh. I is, also, Luke, is Luke Perry big in Japan? No. <laughs> I also like – of all the people you could possibly bring over, you're going to have Shota Umino, a genuine heavyweight, fight – if you want to put Jack Perry in the junior division, fine. Have him attack Hiromu Takahashi. But, like, this dude is a tiny little piece of shit. Oh, they got to revisit that hot match he had against Sonata last summer. The in Maybe the most embarrassing IWGP title match of all time. And I, yeah. like, that covers a lot of ground. <laughs> Man. Like, what is with this influx of Americans? So, like, what? Nick Namath, Riddle, and now Jungle Boy. What is What is I, going on? I mean, it's possible. Like, they usually do bring in, like, new guy Gene around this time because the old contracts expire after yeah. Wrestle Kingdom. So they bring, like, a new batch in for the new year. It's not usually this many at the same time. But it, I don't know if this is, like, the previous president or if this is, like, Tanahashi's attempt to put his stamp on it. I don't really know. Nimit is a good idea. The other two are horrifyingly bad ideas. They really are. Also, like, Riddle teams with Jeff Cobb on this show, so yeah. maybe he's the new leader of the United Empire, which I would fucking oh, lose no. my shit if that's the case. I did not think about that. I would be fucking mad. All right. Story number two, Nick Nemeth really getting around. Nick Nemeth debuts in TNA at the Hard to Kill show, which was, I believe, the first pay-per-view after Impact has rebranded back to TNA. It is. Now we are TNA once again. So they pretty much do like a restructuring of everything in order to be like, this is the way we want things to be now. And I want you to think about that as we talk about some of the people who are on this show. Okay. Rich Swan was on the pre-show. All right. He beat his wife, sure. <laughs> Eddie Edwards and Brian Myers against Frankie Kazarian and Eric Young on the pre-show. Just a whole batch of, all right, they're still wrestling, huh? It's like reheated lasagna. Um, Crazy Steve beat Tommy Dreamer for the TNA Digital Media Championship. I don't even know how to respond to that sentence you just said. Like, any part of it. Uh, PCO beat Fandango. That was on the main show. Fandango managed by Vladimir Kozlov. And then they did a six-man match with Rhino, Jake something, and PCO against a guy named Alpha Bravo, who 
doesn't even seem to have a Wikipedia page. Kozlov and Fandango, whose name is Dirty Dango. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking Fandango would be a good Royal Rumble surprise entrant, but apparently he's not available. And the next one, which you said was like Mad Libs, was Chris Sabin versus El Hijo del Vikingo <laughs> versus Kushida. Like, what? what? And Sabin won! And Sabin, Chris, 45-year-old Chris Sabin being the face of the X Division, the X Division. is fucking nuts. Oh, anything else here really stand out? Oh, yeah, they put the world title on Moose. They put it back on other life beater Moose. Great. What decade is this? Moose beat Alex Shelley for the title. Like, there's no part of this show. Moose. Like, this is the rebrand. Like, when, when was Moose a hot prospect? Was that like 2011? God, it may have been before that. I don't. Jesus Christ. He was in Ring of Honor when he was the hot prospect. By the time he came to Impact, he wasn't good anymore. He was on the original Global Force Wrestling roster, the greatest wrestler, roster in pro wrestling history. Yes, the ghost roster of people who weren't real. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to make of any of this. I didn't watch this show. I actually haven't really read any reviews. I feel like this show was actually pretty well received, I guess. I, look, by the people who already were watching TNA, sure, I'm sure it was well-received. In terms of rebranding it into something more relevant, no. A huge whiff. Yeah, I mean, lots of it. CM Punk and Triple H were there in a skybox, and I think I saw uh, Bailey and somebody were sitting together, too. I can't think of who it was. Really? Yeah. Bunch of them were just there at the show watching it. Um, by all accounts, it's entirely possible. Like Trinity lost the knockouts title. She's yeah, probably coming back. back. Actually, she yeah. might be in the women's rumble. So uh, if I'm Triple H, yeah, I'm, I, I love the idea that he might be buying TNA, which is a persistent rumor that keeps coming up. That's a good tape. That's a legit tape library to get. There's money. Yeah. I think there's I think there's money in having that tape library. So maybe that's what's going on. Also, might just be openly scouting for talent. Who yeah, knows? probably Who's just going to poach their talent, or maybe they're going to do some kind of working agreement. I mean, that would be interesting. Vince always, you would, Vince would always have been the impediment to any kind of working agreement because Vince just never saw any value in any wrestling that wasn't his. But like the, I, I think that Triple H understands the benefit of like yeah. having like channels to like bring talent in from, right? Yeah. Like, I'll give you some trade money. Guys with, trade NXT guys with them. Well, and if you'll notice, like, TNA has basically nothing to do with AEW anymore. Yeah. And, like, we never heard anything official about that. But I think Vikingo is an AEW talent, but maybe not officially. So, other than that, I don't think anybody on this show is You don't think he's with AEW. AAA anymore? I think he's with both. So, I think okay, that that's, yeah. like, the, the loophole. And finally, story number three. Um, reportedly, Roman Reigns is not scheduled for the Elimination Chamber show, and thus we will not be having Roman Reigns versus The Rock in Australia. Um, sorry, Cody. Sorry, Cody. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice story you got there. It'd be a shame if somebody else finished it. So that begs the question. Like, I think you and I both believe now concretely at this point that The Rock is going to face Roman at WrestleMania. Yeah. I don't think so they would the, have teased it if it wasn't happening. 
So is The Rock in the Rumble? Uh, maybe. Probably. I, I think no. I think Punk is going to win the Rumble. Would make the most cha- sense to me. And challenge Seth. Assuming Seth didn't blow his knee out on Raw, which yeah, we're recording this Wednesday night, and we haven't heard on uh, we haven't heard anything about how bad that knee injury is, but it sounds like sounds like it's legit, and he needed an MRI. So now, like, if I'm WWE, and like my plan was for Punk to win the Rumble and face Rollins, and to have yeah. Rock versus Roman at WrestleMania, which, by the way, what the fuck? Do you have a plan for Cody at all? I, I have no idea who Cody wrestles at Mania on that card. I maybe at Elimination of, Chamber you have him win the like a a belt like an Elimination Chamber for the vacant belt and then he faces Punk at WrestleMania. That's not finishing the story. No, it's not. But like I I, I want to I would not put him anywhere near that world title because it just feels so. He's very explicitly said that belt doesn't matter to him. He's yeah. totally avoided pursuing it for good reason. So I, I just want one promo where the Rock's like challenging Roman and Cody comes out like fuck you. <laughs> They're doing a Punk versus Cody face to face next week, but I think that's just to you know build some heat for the Rumble match because they're both going to be like, it's my story, I'm finishing it. That is genuinely compelling. Like, yeah. can both I, do it? Well, actually, they both can. They both can do it. They just both can't win the Rumble. Yeah, there, there's there's been a lot of years recently where I wasn't sure who was going to win, but there haven't been many years where there were multiple people who I thought should win. Yeah. Like, so that's the tough one. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, I think Punk wins, assuming Rollins, even if Rollins is hurt. If Rollins is out, I might have the Rumble be for the world title and have Punk win it. Now that's interesting. And then I don't, and Punk defends at WrestleMania against Finn or AJ or, you know, those are the two guys who jump out at me that would be really compelling matches for him. But I have to ask again, what the fuck does Cody Rhodes do? Uh, what if he beat Gunther? I guess. Brock's coming no. back, but I don't think there's any juice left in that. Like he No, beat, no, like Brock's put him over. Like it's yeah. that's over. I want Brock Gunther. I don't know if Brock wants that smoke though. What if, and I'm sure they wouldn't do this, you do money in the bank at WrestleMania and Cody wins that. That's a good. They should. I. I do. I would like to see money in the. Although, now that WrestleMania is two nights, it's not so overloaded. Back when it was one night, money. WrestleMania really needed money in the bank to get guys on the card. Right. I just like the idea of Cody having like forcing Roman into the match and being like, "Guess what, fucker." <sighs> Damien Priest does have to cash in that briefcase at some point here. Maybe Cody can wrestle him for the briefcase after he fails at the Rumble and be like, I got one more shot. I got to wrestle him for the briefcase. That's an idea. And if he loses, our truth is out of judgment day. Oh, man. Now we're really bringing the stakes. If he loses, our truth's fired. Oh, man. Our truth has a son who's a big high school basketball star, is how old we are. I believe that because our truth may be the most athletic like, person I've ever seen. And he's also like in his fifties. So if anything, it's kind of surprising. His son is only in high school. But it's 2024 and raw is basically entirely about our truth. Yeah. They brought back the awesome truth. He's in the awesome truth and the judgment day at the same time. Yes. He, he won that match. Yeah. 
<laughs> Triple H be it's funny that both A Triple H carries over Vince McMahon's love of our truth, but also uses him way more and way better than Vince did. That's the funny thing, is that like when you can do good booking and tell good stories, like even little like B characters can get over. And like that's wonderful. That's the best parts of wrestling history were when the mid-card guys were over. <laughs> Well, so let's go back in time to when the mid-card guys were over. It's the Royal Rumble 2000. Um, a few months ago, we covered No Mercy 99, where Triple H retained the WWF title over Steve Austin after botched interference from The Rock, and also Jeff Jarrett held Vince up for money. Yeah. Um, that set up Triple H versus Austin versus The Rock for Survivor Series. I remember that being like the ultimate dream match for me back then as a kid. Like, I thought that was the WrestleMania main event. Oh, we got to have the big three guys against each other. And what a sign it is that after a year, like in this point in the previous year, Triple H was basically an afterthought. And now to have everybody being like, oh, well, those are the big three. I mean, those those guys. Big level up for him. You push a guy hard enough, you can get him there. They put yeah. everything they had behind him. And he did rise to the occasion. Um, the October 25th Raw ended with the re- reformation of DX. What do you think about that? I actually, so it's a good idea because it like basically builds the corporation around them. Yeah. Like the outlaws sort of become like Patterson and Briscoe a little bit. Triple H needed a heel stable. It being DX is a little weird because I do feel like DX is uh, DX is a babyface act. I agree. The outlaws fit like a glove as like corporate dickheads. Like that actually kind of works. This winds up killing Xbox's career. <laughs> Xbox gets so much heat because he becomes a woman-beating scumbag. Yeah, Xbox goes from the third biggest babyface on the whole roster to fuck that guy. <laughs> Uh, Survivor Series went down November 14th at the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, Michigan. We were supposed to get Triple H versus Rock with Steve Austin, but Austin's neck had deteriorated to the point where he couldn't wrestle. So what do you do? You got to hit him with a car. Hit that motherfucker with a car. This was actually the first. Isn't this the, is this the first time they hit somebody with a car? I think it's the first time they hit a bald man with a car, yeah. <laughs> Subsequently, that was all they could, the only storyline <laughs> they could come up with. If I was bald, I'd be looking over my shoulder Dude, all the time. Dude, don't even walk through the parking lot. <laughs> you need to get driven right into the arena. Um, so, of course, Austin's doing an interview. Triple H attacks him, lures him to the parking lot. In hindsight, it really should have been obvious that Triple H was the one behind hitting him with the car. It really, so when, they really spelled it right out for us there. When I came in and started watching, was like right about at the beginning of like the Who Ran Over Stone Cold shit, and I didn't understand that context. And going back and looking at it, fucking obviously it's Triple H. What do you mean? Uh, yeah, like Triple H attacks Austin, runs to the parking lot so Austin chases him, and then he has Billy Gunn and Road Dog like padlock the door behind him. Of course, Triple H hit him with the car. The funniest part to me is the idea that, like, this is a 100% DX production, but they have Rikishi drive the car? Why? Yeah, because uh, he did it for The Rock. I'm sure. Duh. <laughs> but I just love the idea. I love the idea yeah. that Triple H is like, it I masterminded Xbox. the whole thing. Yeah, I masterminded the whole thing, but I had farmed it out to some other guy. <laughs> what was Xbox worthless ass doing here? 
I, in context, isn't it so obvious that X-Pac should have been driving that car? Yeah, but where was X-Pac a year later? No one yeah. knew, and even fewer people cared. But how funny would it have been to, like, see him hang out the window and go, make some noise. I mean, it could have been Stephanie is the other person it could have been. That's actually a pretty good reveal for, like, the who ran over Stone Cold thing as if it was Stephanie, right? Yeah. Except he can't get come up. Yeah, can't get a that. match out of that. Well, yeah. you can just beat her up like everybody did back then. Man, that would have been rough. Yeah. Big Show replaced Austin in the main event and won the title. What the fuck? This spawned, is maybe... Spawning persistent rumors that he had a clause in his contract that he would get the world title in his first year because no one else could believe that they did this otherwise. This is maybe the worst... Oh example God. of a swerve for swerve's sake i can possibly imagine well the problem is like you, the only there's nobody you can replace steve austin with in this match right except the only guy who would be even remotely cool would be Shawn michaels and he's not ready to come back yet and you can't just do triple h versus the rock because like no. you know that you're going to that and fully it's a big fat fuck at this point. He hasn't yet convinced Vince that he's going to slim down, become Cactus no, Jack. This and was supposed to be his retirement. He was originally going to retire here, actually. And yeah. then when Austin went down, they convinced him to stick around for a little while. I understand putting show in the match. I guess. Having him win is ludicrous. God, I it was just a joke. He was an awful world. He might literally be the least over world champion in history. He never defended the belt in the main event of any show. Even raw, he was in the mid card. Cause it was a joke. Oh, and that's the only, I think the only reason we got this, the whole fully triple H feud was because big show was so bad as champion. I think they were originally planning to do triple H big show here at the rumble, but they just, they couldn't do it. They pulled the plug on him after barely a month. The funny thing is, is that, like, Triple H should have had what amounts to about a six-month reign yeah, here. He should have just held the belt from SummerSlam straight through. I don't know why they had him keep losing it. Yeah, he lost it to Vince McMahon yeah. and The Big Show. What a joke. Just preposterous. So, a couple weeks later, the November 29th episode of Raw was supposed to be the wedding of Stephanie McMahon and Test, but... Of course, infamously, Triple H interrupted the ceremony and revealed he had drugged Stephanie and married her at a drive through chapel in Las Vegas. This is... Obviously, this is uncomfortable to watch on a number of levels. But <laughs> Triple H openly says he raped her. Yes, he. I believe the line is specifically, the question isn't, are we married? It's how many times did I consummate oh. the marriage? Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Um, however, this is some of the best, like, soap opera television oh imaginable. The, I, ju I remember just watching that and losing my damn mind because I could not believe that twist. Because, again, they'd been building to this Stephanie McMahon test relationship for, like, a year. Like, little by little, Test had that amazing match with Shane McMahon yeah. and for the right to date her. And then Test and Shane become best friends forever. Test wins over the whole family. 
like they delayed this, this the, wedding because Russo couldn't figure out what to do with it, and then yeah. whoever, whether it's Chris Kresge or um, uh, Gwertz or whoever is writing at this point, it's always a little confusing. Comes up with the twist of the century here, and like. First, I'm sure they just did it to be like, okay, we'll do a surprise twist and then everyone will be mad. But then somebody, and I don't know who, says the most amazing, beautiful words ever spoken of, why don't we just put Stephanie with Triple H? Yeah. Wouldn't she be pissed at her dad for sacrificing yep. her all those months ago? So that's what they do at Armageddon. Triple H beats Vince after Stephanie turns on her dad. Like, again, just brilliant, just perfect exactly the right move and this is when to me triple h became the true top star like this giving him stephanie was the last piece of the puzzle and who could have possibly imagined what stephanie could be because up to this point she's literally been just like a demure soft shy little lady yeah and then she has a villain inside her unlike anything we've ever seen the like immense the, heat when she says Triple H turns her on. Because that's disgusting. <laughs> he is a disgusting, disgusting man. But just like, I don't, the amount of villainy you have to produce in order to turn Vince McMahon babyface yeah. is difficult. And these two become a heat supernova. <laughs> I mean, so after that, Vince and Shane leave because they're just so apoplectic about what Stephanie has done. They can't stand to be there. So they just take off, and that leaves Triple H and Stephanie in charge of the company. And they proceed to just run roughshod over the entire roster. These Raws are some of the best television. It Literally, it would just be like, uh, them sitting around on like Barca loungers and being like, hey, you know who I don't like? Chris Jericho. Fuck that guy. Seven on one handicap yeah. match. Every single match is them fucking over the baby faces. Every and match on these shows. And it's for months. Yeah. And it's like the heat they're generating is like nothing we've seen in WWE for sure. And maybe ever. The Mean Street Posse being their butlers and having to stand behind them in tuxedos in their office. And they'd like fuck up and like constantly. Triple H would be like, I'm going to book you against the acolytes. And they'll be like, no, we'll be good. We'll be good. Oh, man. The real star was the giant veggie tray in front of them. They always had a delicious looking collection of broccoli, celery, and carrots. Triple H, I mean, Triple H, I'm sure he eats lots of vegetables. I'm sure he doesn't touch the ranch. There's way too much fat in that for him. The the star for me was uh, Triple H, who's now wearing nothing but denim and leather, sitting on leather chairs and just squeaking as he moves. (laughs) The December 27th episode of Raw featured mankind being booked against The Rock in the infamous pink slip on a pole match. Where the loser would be fired. The Rock wins that match and Mick Foley, of course, is in fact fired. Despite interference from Al Snow, which is a very weird sentence to say. Yeah, because Al Snow was feuding with The Rock and Mick Foley. Uh, January 3rd, Triple H regained the WWF title from the Big Show on Raw, ending Big Show's disastrous title reign. Jeez. 
And I believe it's amazing that night, he held it for a month. I believe that night the Rock was booked in a "You're Fired" handicap match with the stipulation that if anyone interfered to help the Rock, they would be fired. But Mick Foley ran in and helped the Rock win because they couldn't fire him. He was already fired. It's pretty smart. They did a really good sit. They did a really good like Jr. sit down interview with Foley, where Foley just you know talked about how you know rough it was to be fired right after Christmas, how he felt like a disappointment to his kids. Just really, really good stuff to get Mick a ton of sympathy. And in the one and only babyface, true babyface moment of The Rock's entire run as a character, yeah. that's what happened. What happens next? January 10th, the, Rock's co- the Rock comes out with the entire roster, and they all threaten to walk out if Mick Foley isn't rehired. The one and only time The Rock openly acknowledges that he cares about Mick Foley. Yeah. This is great. I remember like, it just as a and I thought they were I thought they were actually going to walk out as a kid. I thought maybe they would get like a show out of there being no roster. I had to wait until 2011 for that to happen. It turns out. Yeah, we did eventually get what that basic show. <laughs> Again, because Triple H was a shitty authority figure. Funny how that works. Yeah. Uh, Triple H agreed to meet Rock's demand, rehired Foley. And then he booked DX versus Rock Foley in the APA for later that night. It came down to everybody ended up fighting backstage, except it came down to just Foley and Triple H fighting. Foley got the Foley got his mask ripped off. Uh, Triple H busted him open with a chair, pedigreed him on a chair, pinned him. And then Foley came back and fought Triple H off at the end of the show, which I I wasn't a big fan of that development because I don't think it really makes sense with what happens next. Yeah, I I get the feeling that they were just like, well, we don't want him to look like a loser for heating him up for the title. But like the point is, is that mankind can't beat Triple H. That's the point. And we should probably talk about like where Mick Foley is at this point. Like Foley, he's breaking down. And honestly, mankind has kind of become a joke at this point. Like, Fully, like he's just a totally a goofy comedy character. It's kind of crazy that he was the world champion a couple months before this, because that seems unimaginable at this point. Yeah, he's wearing like light blue sweatpants and he's teaming with Al Snow and like he's like very much on his retirement tour. He's put on a lot of depression weight. He's got really bad knees. He can barely walk. So. And- he had gone yeah. to Vince and said, like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And Vince was literally just like, Vince was totally fine with him retiring. Vince was like, you know, that can just have been your last match tonight, Mick. Which I think both shows, like, the respect Vince has for Mick, but also, like, how much he didn't care about, like, how much he didn't see value in him at this point. And so Mick has been pitching for almost a year now. Yeah. Like, let me turn heel, bring back Cactus Jack, and Dude fight Rock. Steve Austin. Dude, with fight Steve Rock. Austin, Yeah. And Mick, Vince, Vince brutally, when Mick, the time, when he first proposed wrestling Triple H, Vince was just like, Mick, you're huge. But he's right. Yeah. Yeah, he like, was up to like 330 Mick, pounds. So, like, with this big show sucking opportunity, Mick goes into the gym and he loses yes. like 30 pounds in it's, a month. That's it's insane that he could do that. But, yeah, he gets down to like 290, I think. Like he gets his yeah. ass into shape. 
which I didn't know he was still capable of, but he just, I don't even know what cardio he was doing. Cause I'm sure he couldn't run maybe an elliptical. His knees were so bad at this point, but yeah, he works himself into shape. Uh, he got Vince to take him off the house shows was the big thing. Like, so he could just stay home and train all the time. And so like Vince green lights, this story between triple H and Jack, Though he can't have had high hopes for it. Like, realistically, like, what do you think Mick really has left in the tank? Turns out he had a lot. Yeah, I'm sure that the way that this was painted was just like, all right, you got your one match at the Rumble with Triple H, Triple H will kill you, and then at least Triple H will have, like, your pelt on his wall, and that'll put him over a little, and then we'll move on. Yeah. That is not what happens. (laughs) January 13th, SmackDown. Kind of strange that it happened on SmackDown, but I think it was just timing that way. Um, They're at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. This is, I think, one of the greatest segments I've ever seen. Um, Triple H brings out Midian, who's been the fake Mankind to make fun of Foley in recent weeks. And then Mankind comes out, still wearing his blood-soaked shirt and mask from Monday night. He admitted that Mankind wasn't ready to face Triple H in a street fight at the Royal Rumble, but he has a substitute for the match because Cactus Jack is back. The way that they do this, let me paint you a word picture. My favorite word, because I have it crystallized in my memory so perfectly, is that he's like gesturing. He's like, in fact, I think you know the guy. And like Triple H is just giggling. Like he's literally in the ring, like laughing at Mick Foley, this embarrassing old piece of shit. And then he rips off his shirt and he's got the Cactus Jack shirt underneath. And before he even says Cactus Jack, they pan back to Triple H, whose jaw is on the floor. He sells this so well. Sells this like fully pulled a shotgun on him. And the beautiful thing about this is that this is the maybe the most perfect like example of continuity that this company has ever produced because the only man in WWE who knows how horrifying that cactus Jack is, is triple H. They had a street fight at the garden before cactus Jack kicked his ass, beat his fucking ass and pile drove him through a table on the ramp. Yeah. And that incredible first raw at Madison square garden in 97 yeah, so it's the Foley, the way his voice changes, the look on his face changes, his posture, it's remarkable because it seems so silly. He's just taking yeah. off a mask and taking off a shirt, but he makes, he's such a good performer, he makes it work. Yes, the distinction that he creates between Mankind and Cactus Jack, he is an unrecognizable person. By the time he comes out at the Rumble, there's no possible way that you could mistake him for the mankind of a month ago. There's just no way. He's just not the same guy. And the real surprise here, though, is the pop from the crowd. Because, again, Cactus Jack has not really been seen at least much over the past several years. Certainly most of the things that he've done have not been particularly memorable, like the dumpster matches with the outlaws and shit like that. Like he was in the rumble as the three faces, but like, that's not interesting, but like the pop he gets is like stone cold has returned. It's insane. It's and it's on SmackDown. So maybe they sweeten the audio, but you can see the crowd is going crazy. Yeah. And again, like, this wasn't even like a this is a one week feud up to this point. And now it is liquid hot. Yeah. 
I mean, in like Mankind versus Triple H at this point, I don't know that anybody, like they had done a good job getting sympathy on Foley, but I still don't know that anybody would have cared that much because I don't think anybody could have taken Mankind seriously. But Cactus Jack versus Triple H, everybody buys, like I don't think anybody buys that Triple H can beat Cactus Jack. That's the wild thing, isn't it? Dude loves a joke. Mankind's a joke. Cactus Jack is an invincible force of nature. Yeah. And they they produce all these videos in like the next couple weeks, basically just showing like this man is a menace. Yeah. God, a street fight in Madison Square Garden for the world title. It just doesn't get any bigger than that. And, like, from the moment that this happens, it immediately outshines the Rumble itself. The Rumble itself no longer fucking matters. This could very obviously this, – this could be the main event of any show. The, the absolutely could have main event of WrestleMania. Um, well, we're get, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> the Rumble is built around The Rock versus The Big Show. The Big Show turned heel immediately after he lost the title and turned into, in The Rock's words – a whiny bitch. As we're going to get to, they may as well have just made the Rumble a one-on-one match between yeah. Rock and Big Show, as they don't have anybody else in it worth a fuck. No one else matters here. The Rock doesn't gonna... even bother cutting a promo on anybody else come on the way in. He just, just cuts a promo on Big Show. Just headbanger mosh. Yeah, The Rock cuts a promo on this show where he's just like, is The Rock worried about anybody at the Royal Rumble? Yes. Yeah. Crash Holly and headbanger mosh. <laughs> But if The Rock can get past those guys. God. Fucking Barry and Headbanger Moss. <laughs> All right. Before we get to the show, are you ready for the lightning round? Let's go. Michael Hayes filled in for Jerry Lawler on commentary on an episode of Raw. I don't know where the king was. And I'm sure he did the worst job imaginable because he sucks at commentary. Over the course of one episode of Raw, Moolah and Mae Young wrestled the Dudley Boys in the APA. Mick Foley wrestled Santa Claus in a Boiler Room Brawl. Val Venus wrestled Bob Holly in an over-the-top, off-with-her-top match, in which every time one of the guys was thrown over the top rope, their female representative had to remove an article of clothing. And Al Snow defeated The Rock in a Brahma Bull Rope match after interference from the Road Dog. That, that was one episode of Raw. Maybe the wildest episode of wrestling television ever aired. Yeah. Over the top, off with her top. As much as I don't like that kind of thing, but fuck me, man. That's pretty clever. It got Triple H an incredible amount of heat when I can't remember who it was who lost. Who I think it was BB was supposed to show take her top off for the crowd. And instead she just did it for triple H and he covered her with his jacket. It was so much heat. It's like only triple H gets to see him. What a fucking scumbag. Mark Henry was shown to have had sex with Mae young and Mula with Harvey Whippleman in the same hotel room. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Imagine like Mark Henry Bruno. looking over and making eye contact with Harvey Whippleman during that. <laughs> oh, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> this will eventually produce a hand, I believe. Yeah, only a few months later. We probably should have known it wasn't going to be a baby. Yeah. 
Due to Kane losing a match to Big Show, Tori was forced to spend Christmas with X-Pac. You know, as much as we're, like, praising, like, the booking here, <laughs> let's be clear. Like, the stipulations have gotten wildly out of control. <laughs> it's the X-Pac Tory Christmas story. The idea that the stipulation of a match was that your girlfriend has to spend, and I quote, the holidays with X-Pac. What does that mean? A USA Today article on Steve Austin claimed that Lioness Asuka and Rey Mysterio Jr. both had to retire from wrestling due to injuries. Can't trust the fake news media. Why are we even talking about those people? <laughs> I have no idea. Lioness Asuka? That's a poll for an American I mean, newspaper? I mean, a member of the Crush Gals, huge, huge star, but okay, I guess. I mean, she did retire for a time. The Undertaker returned to the ring to wrestle on two IWA Puerto Rico shows. The Undertaker has a weird history of wrestling at all these different promotions. Yeah. So, like, there's, like, weird clips of him in, like, Mishinoku Pro. Yeah, and with uh, Puerto Brother Rico. Love managing him, right? Wasn't it Bruce Yeah. Pitch? Yeah, I didn't realize he briefly comes back here and then he re-injures himself and he's gone again until after WrestleMania. Which winds up being fine because when he comes back as the American badass, that's good. It's good. They could have used him in this rumble. Fuck. (laughs) Shawn Michaels was rumored to be doing an appearance in ECW. This did not happen. During this time is when he did referee a match in Mishinoku Pro. Oh. So, like, maybe that's... Or maybe that was FMW. I don't know. So, maybe that's where, like, the rumor came from. Like, he did, like, wear the bicycle shorts to referee a match. New Japan reportedly packed the Tokyo Dome with 60,000 people for a show headlined by Kenzuki Sasaki, beating Tenru for the IWGP title. This is not my favorite time in New Japan history, but fuck, it was a lot of people's because they were packing that fucking dome. Ken Shamrock departed the WWF to return to legitimate fighting. How'd that go for him? Uh, I feel like he lost almost all of his big fights, but him and Tito drew a lot of money. They say he made a lot of money, lost a lot of brain cells, lost a lot of fights. There were reportedly discussions of bringing back Kevin Nash in the event he left WCW, with most of management being against bringing him back. What if? What do you think would have happened if Nash had come back separate from the other guys? Uh, make him Triple H's heater would be my idea, and eventually probably turn him against Triple H. Yeah, if he showed back up here as yeah. like Triple H's heater, yeah, like oh my god, the heat. <laughs> Yeah, and then eventually he can turn babyface on him. Absolutely. Randy Savage was also reportedly considered for a return, but management felt his asking price was too high. So, in theory, at this point is not when Vince was mad at him. I don't... See, that's what's so confusing about that, is like, when did he end up on the no-fly list then? Yeah, if he's being now, of course, we don't know for sure. Now maybe it was, was maybe it was Jr. was thinking they should bring him back, and then it got to Vince, and Vince said no. Man, if but if Randy had shown up in this Rumble, that would have fucking would have been wild. Have I, he really didn't have much of anything left at this point. 
It wouldn't have been for a run, but no. just maybe like a one-off. Like that would have been incredible. Randy Orton was signed to a developmental contract at the age of 19. God, all the way back here, really? <laughs> and he's about to be in the main event of the Royal Rumble next week. The funny thing is that, so Randy goes AWOL from the Marines. Yep. And like literally gets thrown in the brick. He thinks he's going to go to prison. He gets bounced in some, well, let's be honest, a little bit shady circumstances. And then he's immediately signed by WWE. I don't know how Bob Wharton Jr. has that much stroke. A lot of like stroke. He gets him in immediately. And finally, the hammer. Wrath and Brian Adams were rumored to be returning to the WWF as the new demolition. Oh, my God. As There's a chance that they were going to force demolition on me again? That I love that idea so much. Demolition in the Attitude Era. Okay, so let's 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 put you back in the shoes of being a uh, little Steve. If fucking Chronic had showed up as the new Demolition on this show, I wouldn't. I didn't know. I wouldn't. I didn't know who Demolition was at the time. Is the thing. I didn't see yeah. any of that. I wasn't alive but, for that shit. It's not like they've ever referenced it since. No. Yeah. Now I I don't know about this one. Yeah, oh, that's a horrible idea. Like, my God, that's a horrible idea. As I, we saw when I they don't did really know in. if it's true. Yeah. I guess this All was right. before they were chronic, right? They would have just yeah. been two separate dudes. It's just at this point, I think the people were thinking they were on their way out of WCW. Weird that there's so many rumors about guys on their way out, and none, nobody really is except for the radicals. Except all the radicals, who at this point are at the hotel in Stamford, and Shane Douglas is calling the front desk to see if they're staying there. Fucking savvy Shane Douglas being <laughs> like, I know how to figure it out. I know the hotel the new hire stay at. That was, yeah, that was quite a pull. Also, like, how sad that they just lied to him like that. I mean... Like, it's high school and there's a kid you don't want to hang out with. Like, no, like, we're, we're, we're just going home to study. We're not going to meet up later. Yeah. Don't tell him. There won't be any girls there. All right, to get into the show, it's Sunday, January the 23rd, 2000. We're at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Uh, reported attendance of over 19,000. I don't know. It's sold out. There's not an open seat in the building. And the site is small, so like over 18,000. They should have opened up the forum for this one. I completely agree. Also, you've triggered Stump Steve. Oh, fuck me. Already? Yeah. Okay. Stump Steve, boys and girls, the time where I ask Steve a trivia question and see if he can answer it. This one is about Madison Square Garden. So this is the very first Royal Rumble ever to be held in the garden. It sure is. Now, I need you to tell me when the first of each of the other four big four pay-per-views was held in the Garden. Okay. The original WrestleMania was at the Garden. Correct. Um, The original SummerSlam was at the Garden. That's correct. Now, welcome to the tricky part. Um, Survivor Series 1996 was at the Garden. You nailed it. That's the one. And there was never a King of the Ring at the Garden. No, but luckily King of the Ring is no longer considered a significant pay-per-view. Bang! That fucking made mince me to me. I will t- I will warn you, next week's is going to be so fucking difficult, <laughs> I'm going to tell you what it is before the show starts to give you time to think about it. Oh, God. 
Okay. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, first ever million dollar gate at the garden. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it, it's, they haven't done a WrestleMania there in a long time. So they've jacked the ticket price as well. But even then we think about like quote unquote high ticket prices. If they sold you know, a million dollar gate, if they sold 18,000 tickets, like how much are those tickets actually? Yeah. Average ticket price, $55. Like we paid 50 bucks to like get some decent seats at a raw a few months ago. This is what I'm saying. They could make 10 million at the garden now. (laughs) WrestleMania at the garden. Now they would charge like thousands per seat and get it. Get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Buy rate. They did 590,000 buys. That's down from 650 the previous year, but still a really strong number. I mean, the previous year they had Vince in the rumble and Austin getting his hands on him. Also, let's be clear. Triple H versus Cactus Jack, while being built well coming in, has not been – it's not something that you're going to look on a marquee if you haven't been watching TV and be like, oh, I got to have that. And again, this might be the most obvious winner of a Royal Rumble in history up to this point and maybe to this day. Like, The Rock's going to win. Yeah. There is no other option. Um, and on commentary, of course, we've got Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler, who, yes. I don't know, we'll, we'll get into some comments they both made during the course of this night. This might be my least favorite Jerry Lawler commentary performance of oh, all time, but we'll, we'll get into it. He's pretty skeezy here. Um, incredible opening package here, where Triple H and Cactus Jack both talk about how great the other guy is. You uh, never see this ever, especially yeah. from Triple H. He never talks about He's how like, much he respects people. They call you Cactus Jack. They call you Triple H, King of the Death Match, the game, the world champion, the top man in this industry today. But then they both explain that they're better and they'll win. But I absolutely love that. Like Triple H mythologizing Cactus Jack as this like boogeyman in his closet that he's always been afraid of is so good. Triple H had to level up. Hunter Hearst Helmsley wasn't ready for Cactus Jack, but the game Triple H might be. God, it's just such good storytelling. Uh, We cut into the arena for fireworks and JR and Jerry welcome us to the show. This is one of my favorite sets of all time. This might be my single favorite pay-per-view set ever. Um, First of all, yeah, you have the Madison Square Garden venue where they're coming out straight through the fans. And and they built an alley for the street fight. It literally looks like a street. It's got a fucking taxi cab hanging over the entrance. That's insane. That thing scares the shit out of me. Yeah, it literally looks like it's about to fall at any second. But yeah, like it's a street with walls like an alley. The walls have graffiti. There's trash cans and there's doors that open up because it's the garden. It's like, um, I don't know, it's like the entrance to a parking garage. Yeah, like this is brilliant. Yeah. And like there's so many fans and they're like so clustered around that entry point that every time anybody comes out who's even slightly cool, they go fucking insane. I so badly need this arena in a WWE video game. It's wild that there hasn't been really. Yeah. Like, like this is the coolest way of looking. 
And like I love so much the way that Madison Square Garden's the only time that you're yeah. looking at the entrance the whole time. I know that so when people so run out, you see them. I don't know if I've ever disagreed with anything Bruce Pritchard more with Bruce Pritchard more than when he said he hated that. It's so fucking stupid. I know. Like to me, it's I get why we show the fans, but there's also something very cool about the camera facing the set. Also, you're getting both the fans and yeah. the set. That's the thing. Yeah. Hard cam sucks. Kurt Angle is the first man out of the locker room. He's going to face a mystery opponent. He gets on the mic, says that Madison Square Garden is a beautiful building and it deserves to have a true champion in it. But if we're waiting for Patrick Ewing and the New York Knicks to bring home a title, we're going to be waiting forever. And he's right. They he's still totally won right. Title. 25 years later, they still haven't won a title. Haven't even come as close to winning a title. <laughs> no, they were even, have they gotten the conference finals since this? I don't think no. they have. No. no. Yeah, they peaked with like a second round trip to the second round of the playoffs with Amari Stoudemire. Yeah, that's humiliating. Stank vibes. So where's Kurt Angle at at this point in his development? Uh, he's still kind of a baby. He debuted at Survivor Series. Um, you know, you can tell there's something there. His promos, they're pretty good, but they're, I mean, it's just, it's him reciting lines that have been written for him and they're a little wooden, but the whole presentation kind of works because the whole point is that he's super lame. It's basically making fun. Like, it's basically like, oh, a modern Bob Backlund, but we admit he's a heel. I love that's my favorite part of it is that like what if we portray him as exactly what these type yeah. of guys were always portrayed as except everyone's in on the joke that he sucks. The funniest and, thing was when he wrestled Gangrel on Raw and he got really angry that people were cheering a vampire over him. You're the freaking vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I think he wrestled the Godfather at one point. He also complained they were cheering a pimp over him. <laughs> But, like, this is the best time because any other period of history, this character wouldn't have stood out as much as he does here because he's the only real person on a roster full of fucking weirdos. But the guy he's facing tonight is as real as it gets as orange flights, orange lights begin to flash. Um, The sound of uh, a, a heartbeat flatlining comes on. Killer music comes over the speakers and Taz makes his WWF debut. Maybe this is one of the great, this is one of the greatest debuts in pro wrestling history. It absolutely is. First of all, Taz had some of the best theme music of all time. Like it's just perfect and terrifying. Also, many of the fans in attendance already knew he was coming. Yeah. So, like, that must have been all over the dirt sheet. It, it had been heavily rumored. that ta- It just made sense. I think people thought he was going to debut in the Rumble match. But I think they only, start, they only started promoting this about a week out. They started doing the, like, the Taz symbol would start to show. I would say, like, the mood is about to change or whatever. But they had built to it a little bit. But, yeah, I think everybody at the Garden was smart enough to know what was coming here. And Kurt, like, issued an open challenge on, like, the SmackDown before this show. And so, like, you probably should have realized that that's where it was going to happen. So he comes out, towel over his head, walking down this dirty New York street that they've created. As the crowd 
fucking explodes. Yeah. It's an absolute star's reaction. Like, biggest pop on the show other than The Rock. Ironically, not only does this bury him, barely when he was walking out and he heard it, he was like, fuck. Yeah. Vince is going to be pissed. And he was right. <laughs> yeah. Vince does not take kindly to the idea that someone else can make a star. Yeah. He does not want pops to happen because you came from another place. He does not care for that. So, yeah, I've seen Taz, I think it was on the rise and fall of ECW, talk about driving to the garden and, like, what an emotional moment that was for him because he's made it. Like, he always dreamed of wrestling in Madison Square Garden. He grew up in New York going to the wrestling shows. And he called Paul Heyman who he had had a very bad ending with in ECW. And he told Heyman he was on his way, and Heyman was like, you deserve it, buddy. I'm glad you're going. I wish you, think you should have made it there years ago. That's cool. Yeah, good that they were able to bury the hatchet. Shame about all the money Heyman owed Taz, but hey. Yeah, I'm glad they were able to bury the hatchet because <laughs> Heyman becomes his co-worker nine months later. <laughs> I mean, Taz is, Taz is Heyman's champion again, like, three weeks after this. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. So Taz comes down. Of course, once he gets in the ring, we see how tiny he is compared to Kerr. Okay, here's the problem. From the moment he walks into the ring, I'm like, oh, he's so fucking small. Five, like, nine, five, eight. Hook might be taller. I never would have realized that watching ECW because no, he doesn't come they, off that way. They just shot. They shot him. Uh, but he wrestled. I mean, he wrestled like Bam Bam Bigelow. He was obviously a lot smaller, but I don't know. The presence was there. But like something about this, he steps the in the ring is, with Angle the ring and is like, a lot bigger. Oh, yeah, he's just like, oh, no, he's a fucking like it, it was a mistake for him to come here because he'll never be taken seriously at that size. He just won't. I think he could have. He probably would have better off in WCW. I want you to imagine a world in which anyone would have allowed this, but like Taz is a cruiserweight. Oh my god, yes! Just fucking bullying the shit out of Psychosis and Rey Mysterio. According to Mick Foley, Angle was nervous about working with Taz. He heard Taz had a reputation for shooting on people, and he asked fully what he should do if Taz shot on him fully pointed out to Kurt that he was an Olympic gold medalist and he could probably handle himself. It's like, what do you mean? Fucking shoot back motherfucker. You're well, the greatest. I mean, Kurt's an Olympic gold medalist, but Taz was a gold medalist on the streets of Brooklyn. You have to understand. Also like Taz knows how to like shoot on, so, on people in a wrestling ring. Like he's yeah. not, Though, as we've learned, the greatest fight we weapon in any wrestling shoot fight is the fucking front choke that, like, Jericho Job put on Goldberg. Goldberg. yeah. That has won every single wrestling fight of all time. <laughs> Punk jobbed out Jack Perry with it. Fucking front neck lock, man. The only real fight Punk ever won. God, you're right. Uh, this is a really quick match. They have no time here. Um... Angle suplexes Taz in the aisle. Then back in the ring, he hits an overhead belly to belly. Angle goes to the top. Taz crotches him, suplexes him off. Almost gets the pin, but Angle puts his foot on the ropes. Taz runs through a series of huge suplexes and then chokes Angle out to get the pin. Um, He passed out, so he would claim he was still undefeated after this. 
of course, on commentary, for some reason, King and JR start debating whether or not it's whether that's legal, whether it's a choke. I don't know if this is Jerry Lawler going into Blood business show. for himself. Because I think he's trying to like protect Angle yeah. because that's he's defending the heel, but he starts relentlessly pushing this. It's a chokehold. It's not a, a legitimate wrestling move, which kind of kills Taz. It's like, oh, I guess he shouldn't be allowed to do that. I mean, Jr. points out it's the same thing as a sleeper hold. It's a blood blood chokes are legal. Air chokes aren't. I mean, this could result in like. A storyline where Taz is like not allowed to do the yeah. Taz mission, but Which he fucking does over. it anyway. Oh yeah, if he if he started doing the Taz mission and like Triple H kept telling him he couldn't do it, and they arrested him, and then he put it on Triple H, that would have been hot. Big money, big money. Uh, I feel like this is the last good moment of Taz's WWF career. The moment he steps in the ring with Triple H, and Triple H is a foot and a half taller than him, is the end of his career. <laughs> Uh, angle is stretchered out. And then we go backstage where Michael Cole interviews the Hardy Boys and Terry. Uh, the Dudleys put Matt and Jeff through tables on Raw. And then Jeff did a swanton bomb off the stage through a table on Bubba on SmackDown. Terry starts to talk and Jeff tells her they can't let her go out there tonight because it's too dangerous. It is wonderful how wooden Jeff Hardy yeah. is here. And he never gets hey. less wood. Terry, no! Yeah. <laughs> All right, we got the tables match. The Dudley boys against the Hardy boys. I was so excited to remember that this was on this show. Of everything that's on this show, of everything from this period, this might be the most important match. This is iconic. And it's like coming into game. it, you never would have really expected it because it's just like a random tag team match and you don't know what's to come. Like the Hardy boys have had that match with Edge and Christian, yeah. the latter match. But like other than that, they haven't they done had, a fucking thing. There wasn't thing. a lot of follow up to that. Yeah, they've got Terry. That's not working. Um, but here, the Hardy boys and especially Jeff himself will become icons immediately. <laughs> Dudley's Jeff has a moment in this match that you're going to get to that is maybe the most iconic moment of the era, except for all of his other ones. The Dudleys come out first. Bubba still playing a Southern redneck instead of the New Yorker that we know he oh, is. God. <laughs> Praises John Rocker, the racist pitcher from the Atlanta Braves, who would trash New York City in an interview around this time. The interview was something like he was on the subway and he saw all these blacks yeah. and queers and all of these. It's guys. so bad. It's, I mean, it's infamous. Like, yeah, we both remember it to this day. It is like the most racist a public figure has ever openly been in my lifetime. To the point where I don't think anyone was willing to defend it. Even like the Rush Limbaugh's of the day were like, nah, fuck that that's guy. That's disgusting. Yeah, that's yeah. too far. Uh, so you have to put both members of the team through tables to win. They also say you have to do it consecutively, which I don't really know what that's supposed to mean. Can, like within a certain period of time? Two in a row? I don't think that's how this works. No, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, they're just going 100 from the start here. Jeff hits a planche on Bubba. Devon tries to powerbomb Matt through a table, but he slips out. Jeff gets a chair and just hits a wicked chair shot on Bubba. Bubba takes like three of these, like brutal. 
brutal headshot. And Jeff could swing that chair. Remember when he hit Lesnar? I think that shot on Lesnar is the One most brutal headshot seen. I've ever seen anyone take. Yeah. Jeff puts Bubba on a table. He runs the railing, but Bubba pops up and slams the table into his face. Great spot. In the ring, Bubba sets up for a super power bomb. The Hardys block and try to superplex him through a table, but Devon moves the table. Smart. Matt brings a ladder into the ring and he uses uses it as a weapon. He sets it up on the floor and he climbs. He hits a leg drop as Jeff hits a splash to put Devon through the table. They they film this in such a way where you're watching the whole thing with Matt as he's setting up. And like at one point he pushes Devon into the crowd by accident. Or pushes Bubba into the crowd by accident. And so he jumps off. And then Jeff, who you haven't seen, jumps from off yeah. camera into frame and, like, hammers him. Matt and Jeff both crashed through tables in rapid succession. But it doesn't count because they drove themselves through on missed moves. Glad we clarified that. That's not super complicated and confusing. This bump that Matt takes, he jumps off the top rope ass first through a table. And I'm like, boy, that's why he walks like that these days. Yep. There's a reason it looks like he's riding a horse when he walks today. Don't do top rope leg drops, guys. How in the hell are the Hardys still wrestling and why? I, I I don't know. They like wrestle on Rampage at this point is how bad it is. Apparently, uh, Matt's on the verge of getting a divorce, so he might need the money. (laughs) That's what the world needs. Divorced dad, Matt Hardy. God. He's always had that energy ever since the Lita thing. thing. The Dudleys set up a table on the steps. Bubba powerbombs Matt off the top and through it. So now we're down to either Jeff or Devon has to go through a table. They go into the crowd. They set up tables under a balcony. Bubba and Devon put Matt on four tables. Bubba sets up to jump off on Jeff, but Jeff hits him with a chair and knocks him off the balcony through the tables. Which I thought that would be the most incredible spot of the night. Also, he's supposed to go through all four tables. So I don't know how the next spot is supposed <laughs> to happen had he done that. Yeah. Because they don't have another table. Like, Matt grabs the one that doesn't break. The match isn't over because Bubba had already gone through a table. So Matt sets Devon up on a table, and Jeff hits him with the Swanton Bomb off um, off. The uh, what am I? What, what's the word I'm looking for here? Off it's the, sort of uh, like the off, balcony. Off the balcony, yeah. It's like if you're going through, if you're going off from the floor to go get concessions, you go through here. So it's a balcony. So this moment where he steps up yeah. on the lip of that Incredible. thing and they shoot him from behind yeah. as he takes his shirt off and the cr- the women in the crowd scream because he's absolutely fucking shredded. Yeah. And like you look down and you can see how far away Devon is because all the destruction that Bubba just caused is in the way. Jeff has to jump past that. Insane. And like Jeff, without hesitation, jumps Hits it perfectly. Hardy boys win. Um, I love it. There was some clunkiness to this match. There were some points where they kind of lost what they were trying to do. But overall, a great match that really kind of changed the game for tag team wrestling in this era. 
just realistically, that image of Jeff standing on the lip ready to jump is what launches yeah. the new generation of tag team wrestling in this company. Can't like, you just picture it in your head as I say it? Absolutely. Like, it's it's indelible. Like, and of course, he's later going to have a better moment standing on top of a ladder before insane, he does the same thing. insane that he can do that. Like, this is literally what, for most people, would be the most iconic moment of a legendary career. But Jeff actually has, like, two better ones. <sighs> then we go backstage to Kurt Angle in the locker room where a paramedic is attending to him. Angle asks if he won the match. The paramedic says he got choked out. Angle says chokes are illegal in wrestling, and that means he's still undefeated. He keeps, pressure, keeps pressuring the paramedic to be like, but that's illegal, right? <laughs> right? And the right. paramedic's like, I don't fucking I don't, know. I'm a paramedic. Wrestling's stupid. <laughs> I've been How did you get choked out in a fake sport, you loser? <laughs> All right. I cannot believe this next segment is real. Let's go. Finkel introduces the judges for the Miss Rumble swimsuit competition. Yeah. So we're in this era, right? Yeah. And this is for the title, I think, because the women's champion is in it and she won it in a swimsuit match. Good point. Why wouldn't the title be on the line here? I mean, it's not because the women's champion doesn't win this, but like. The judges, a lot of dirty old men here. We've got Sergeant Slaughter, Tony Gurria, Moolah, not a man, Johnny Valiant, and Freddie Blassie, and Jerry Lawler is our master of ceremonies. And a truly genius move that I loved so much as a huge Conan O'Brien fan growing up. They then pan back, yeah. and somehow Andy Richter, Richter has emerged from the audience and is going to be a judge. Yeah. Um, our participants, we've got Ivory, Terry, Jacqueline, BB, Luna, and the cat. So yeah, like you said, last month, the cat won an evening gown swimming pool match and ripped off her top afterwards, ex exposing her bare breasts to the live audience and the pay-per-view audience watching at home. Yep. That is the claim to fame. One of two times that they did straight up bare breasts, the other one being Jacqueline. Jacqueline, that one was least in the UK. Yeah, and they also don't know why like it was not on purpose, even though it was. Yeah, I mean, this one, too, they had to do the deniability thing, but, like, Sergeant Slaughter was standing right there with a towel to cover her. It was obviously a planned spot. Right. So, as these people come out, Terry gets a fine reaction. Ivory's playing a heel, but she gets a fine reaction. Jacqueline yeah. gets, like, silence. That yeah. was weird. BB forgot about her. I forgot she existed. She was here, yeah. She was Barbara Bush, the, EM, yeah. the hot EMT. Literally, she was only a consistent for, like presence on the show because they just kept being like, oh, we need, like, a hot piece of ass for the segment. Well, just get BB back, I guess. No Tori. I guess Kane wouldn't let her do it. She's still spending the holidays with X-Pac. It's not Martin the Luther holidays anymore. It's the end of January. Jesus. Martin Luther King Day is a holiday. <laughs> oh, man. Um, the women all pose. I mean, I don't know. Ivory is doing a heel routine. She doesn't want to show her body. Luna is being a heel. 
Jacqueline does like a full strip tease. Yeah, so, like some people go like way into it. Cat surprisingly is like pretty restrained considering she just full on went topless on the well, last her show. Her bikini is made of bubble wrap. Yes, that is correct. Apparently that was Jerry Lawler's idea. May. And he was like, this will be my wife. And then May Young's music hits. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I love the reaction it gets because everybody knows some really stupid shit is about to happen. And like, so Jerry Lawler is, of course, emceeing this event and yeah. making horrifically like, sexist no! comments. Making horrifically sexist comments about pretty much everybody and... But like when May comes, I just I did was very tickled by him saying, "Oh no, oh no, what what is she doing here?" <laughs> she says she's in the competition too. She pulls off her robe to reveal a one piece, and then she pulls the top down um, to expose her quote unquote breasts. So it turns out that these are some kind of like prosthesis that they yeah. built on the front of her. Super saggy, like sagging down to her stomach. Just disgusting. It's censored. It was censored on the home video. I think it was censored on the pay-per-view broadcast. Even. Um, but of course it's censored on thro- Peacock. This gets them thrown off of Channel 4 literally the next day. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. This is... What on earth? Are they thinking here? I. Who's this like, for? Like, the, there's comedy to be found here, but like two months in a row now, you've like at least shown or purported to show yeah. actual bare breasts. Like, is this where we're going? Like, like I do don't you... want to be too much of a moral scold, but like, there are kids in the in the in attendance. Yeah. Like, like you can't have it both ways. Shows. You can like play up sexiness and whatever, but like you're you're crossing a very clear line here. This is also when they're dealing with like a legitimate problem with sponsor boycotts. Well, like, and it's so funny that like their response to all of this winds up being like the right to censor, like, oh, people are being yeah. so uh, such dicks about this. No, in this particular case, they're right. <laughs> you're being fucking crazy. Like. You know there's, like, a family who brought their kids to this show and, like, we're not going to let their kids watch wrestling anymore after this. For sure. You imagine being, like, a kid and watching this and your mom walks in while this is going on? Like, parents have a very special way of always walking in during those moments. That's the worst segment possible. I, my, I know that my mom walked into the room during the Trish barking like a dog segment. Oh, God. Uh, she walked in during the diva search. I <laughs> sat on a pie segment. <laughs> what is this smut? <laughs> oh, Bob Backlund should have shown up here to yell at them for watching pornography. Pornog- Since he was in the building, they must <laughs> have had there. to restrain him. Oh, <laughs> oh man. This went way too long. I mean, I just... Even, like, I guess, look, horny dudes are going to like the women in bikinis, but I don't know. I I guess... This is a weird conversation, but I guess we should address the fact that one of the things that made these segments kind of make sense on the show is this is before the incredibly wide availability of internet pornography. 
That is a good point. This is like, some of the best that you can get. Movies have become much less sexual because, like, people just don't feel like they need that outlet anymore. I just want to be real clear. If you were a kid in the 90s, like, the things that you had to masturbate to were, like, pretty <laughs> wild. Like, just, like, a 10-second clip of the movie Wild Things or, like, some scrambled internet porn or, like... <laughs> it was a different world. Like... You watch Baywatch and be like, this is yeah. as good as it gets. <laughs> or the wrestling show where they would have nude women just about every week. That's what I'm saying. Then Jonathan Coachman is at WWF New York, which had opened just a few days before this. I just, I enjoy these set. These are such a slice of the time. These WWE. And this, surprisingly, I guess this went on for like three or four years before they finally closed this money pet. It's lovely that this is Coach's literal first appearance in WWE. He's still got hair. Like, they've given him the Todd Pettengill role of, like, go out in the people. And the people are, like, fucking swarming him (laughs) as he tries to say his lines. I can believe this place maybe did okay at first financially. I think the other thing is it turned out the manager was stealing a bunch of money from them. Well, the other thing, too, is, like, the rent in Times Square is, like, a million dollars a week. Like, it's yeah. something crazy like that. And, like, like unless you're literally somewhere else in New York, right? And, yeah, unless you're printing money, I just don't understand yeah. what the point of this is. Like, like Wrestling fans will seek this place out. Yeah. Like, this should be, like, Vince buys that old steakhouse his dad used to go to yeah. after the Madison Square Garden shows and puts it there. And it's that hilarious thing where it's like, oh, shit, they're showing the pay-per-views. We should go there. And people would spend 50 bucks on food and drinks instead of each, instead of buying the pay-per-view for 30 bucks. But it's for the community experience. The one place in the world you know you'll be amongst wrestling You're not a fans. creep. Yeah. Yeah. I can kind of see the appeal of that. You could put them in, like, Chicago, L.A. I'm sure people would have gone. But instead they put it in Times fucking Square. What do you think was Somehow a worse the, failure, this or the Nitro Grill? Nitro Grill wasn't even like, yeah, it barely got off the ground. Like, that wasn't even like a thing that made sense. I think sense. the difference is the Nitro Grill was just a license deal. Somebody just paid WCW for their name. So I don't think WCW lost the money on that. Yeah, WWE was just porn. But like, also, this is a good idea. That's a bad idea. Like, just <laughs> putting WCW Nitro on a restaurant isn't anything. <laughs> You know, I think of when I when I see WSW, I think I bet that'll have some really good food. Yeah. Whereas, like, if this had lasted, isn't it pretty clear that this is what would have housed like the Hall of Fame? Yeah. Like, like it, it just seems like this is something that they should have kept, but like not here. Maybe Disney. Maybe Disney. That's a great idea oh, for sure. Di- wrestling and Disney. What an idea. You well probably maybe Universal Studios would be a good yeah. fit. Oh, backstage, Chris Jericho and China argue over who should get to wear the Intercontinental title belt to the ring. Very convoluted backstory here. Uh, I can't believe that. Like, So at this point, Chris Jericho is a joke. He has thoroughly fucked up his debut in WWE, and no one thinks he's worth a fuck anymore. <laughs> Oh, and then they make him feud with the top guy's girlfriend, and he gets massive heat because he stiffs her. I, the fact that he survived this. 
apparently a few weeks before this, him and Vince really got into it backstage at either Raw or SmackDown, with Vince literally being like, I can't believe we signed you. Like, you don't know how to wrestle. And Jericho just like, Jericho, because of who he is, just like gave it right back to Vince, which I think Vince actually respected him for. Yeah, if he hadn't done that, he's probably gone. But also, like, Jericho was a Russo hire. And, like, that's probably something that Vince yep. held against him. That was a big problem for him. And, like, I can't say Russo knew how to write for him because his his debut was cool, but everything he did after that was a disaster. And even his debut, which is a cool moment, isn't actually a good debut if you think about it because The Rock fucking buries yes. him during it. <laughs> So the story here, the China and Jericho were feuding over the Intercontinental title. They basically just swapped Jericho into the Jarrett role as the huge misogynist who hated China. Yep. Woman beater, etc. Uh, at one point, he tied her up and smashed her hand with a hammer. Which makes this, like, pleasant yeah. disagreement kind of weird. <laughs> China got revenge on him at one point by telling Tori that Jericho told her he had been fantasizing about her sexually to get Kane to beat him up, which was Love actually that. that was actually hilarious. I, what's funnier, that time that Kane beat Jericho up or the time that he accidentally spilled coffee on Kane and then Kane <laughs> beat him up? Well, that's what that was all. That's what that went back to. Oh, was it? No. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not that level of continuity going on here. It was not about coffee. <laughs> Sorry, I burned you, champ. You burned me when you tried to fuck uh, my girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> so Jericho beat China for the title at Armageddon, and then they had a match on SmackDown that ended with a double pin, and for some reason, Stephanie declared they would be co-champions. Sure. Can't explain so that. And so now number one contender Hardcore Holly has to beat both of them. That's not super fair to him, but sure. I mean, Hardcore Holly's just here because somebody needs to take the pin. Actually, no, China gets pinned. Yeah, Hardcore Holly's here because Jericho and Holly can have a match around China. Uh, dude, there's a moment in this match where Jericho forgets what he's supposed to bulldog China and he just kind of forgets. And Holly literally yells bulldog dumbass at him. He doesn't just forget. He's just they're both just standing <laughs> so there in the ring circles. doing nothing. Jer it's just like at this point, he's so in his he's got the yips. He's just so in his own head about it. Yeah. And China can't improvise is the thing. Like she's not experienced. Like you gotta go, you gotta plan the whole match out. And if you get off track, it's gonna be a mess. Right. This For match all of that, bad. It, it's not good, but it's it, it could be worse. Like it's not yeah. bad. It accomplishes what it should. Few bumpy spots. They only get like six minutes. Again, they're having to rush. There's way too many matches on this undercard. Yeah. Like, again, the Hardys and Dudleys needs to happen. Triple H Cactus needs to happen. Nothing else really needs to happen. Maybe Taz and Angle, though. You could probably put that in the Rumble. Yeah. Uh, Jericho pins China with the Lion Salt to become the undisputed Intercontinental Champion. 
it seemed obvious to me that China Jericho was probably supposed to be a romance angle, and I'm not sure who refused to do it. Also, again, Jericho can't catch a break. They want <laughs> this is Triple H doing the Kevin Sullivan and trying to book his own breakup. Actually, yeah, that's the funny thing is like, oh, okay, God. what if I book those two together and they start maybe fucking, and actually, then I can guilt-free dump yeah. China? <laughs> maybe they'll actually start dating, and I'll get off the hook. Because as soon as this is done, China goes straight into Eddie Guerrero as Triple H tries again. Yes, he's trying. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie, of course, is happily married. God, he couldn't find a guy for China. It's just funny, like, going backstage with a sign like, please cuck me, please. Is there anybody here who wants to date China? X-Pac, it turned out, but they didn't consider that. X-Pac. Had- yeah, the guy in the room, yeah. he could have just turned around and asked. God. I'll make her make some noise. Oh, that's vile. Yeah. <laughs> uh, backstage, Michael Cole interviews The Rock. He asks him if there's anyone in the Royal Rumble he's concerned with. Rock says, in fact, there are two superstars he's concerned about. Number one is Crash Holly. And number two is Headbanger Mosh. When he was, like, probably backstage <laughs> thinking about the two funniest <laughs> guys to mention, yeah. he fucking nailed it. Uh, <laughs> headbanger Mosh. It's much funnier that he says Headbanger Mosh, too, instead of just Mosh. Yeah, not just one, uh, one of the two Headbangers. That's the threat. Specifically, Mosh is the problem. The funny thing about this promo is after that, he goes on, like, an extended rant like he does. And it's it occurred to me, this is the same kind of like crappy improvised ranting that he does now. Like, it's exactly the same. He was not he's not worse now than he was then. We just liked it more then. Oh, Cole asks him why he isn't concerned with the big show. Rock tells him to get a big glass of shut up juice. And yeah, it's Rock clear that says, he was trying to work out some new catchphrases here. <laughs> some somebody just watched. Um, actually, wait. What am I thinking? Oh, it's Happy Gilmore, where Ben Stiller tells the mom to if she wants a warm glass of shut the hell up. Yep. Uh, Rock says he hopes it comes down to him in the big show, and he guarantees he's gonna win. Next up, World Tag Titles, New Age Outlaws defend against the Acolytes. Um, We get a camera shot from inside the cab during the entrance. That was cool. That was cool. The story of this match is that the Outlaws are terrified of the Acolytes because they're real men. (laughs) And then they beat them in three minutes. Three minutes! I assume this got its time cut. Although uh, let's, run, let's run long, yeah, probably the probably the bikini contest. Oh, it had to have, yeah. I'd say like so far we're at three minutes, ten minutes, and seven minutes, so yeah. it must have been the bikini contest. I mean, the acolytes beat him up, and then X Pac shows up. He gets hit with a spine buster, but the distraction allows Billy to hit the famouser and get the pin, and we're done. Cool. Next up, we got a street fight for the WWF title. Triple H defends against the hardcore icon Cactus Jack. Jack makes his entrance first. He gets a nice reaction, but nothing special. I hate his music. 
Like, I, I loathe his music. For, like, this is a fucking badass killer death match, man. It's like, do-do-do-do-do-do. It's very Western, yeah. Yeah, it's odd. Um, Triple H makes his entrance second. I love Dude. my time. Yeah. Like, you want to talk about leveling up. Go back and watch Triple H at Royal Rumble 1999. And then come and look at him here. He's got the belt. He's in the tights. He's in amazing shape. He's got staff. Yeah. Every single element is here. Got it's a super perfect. cool entrance with the lights going down in the light show. Like no one has ever like he like has assembled the infinity gauntlet yeah. of gimmicks. And now he's ready. Uh, Stephanie comes out with him, but he smartly sends Stephanie to the back after his entrance. She doesn't. She doesn't need to see this. She does not hesitate to go to the back. She does not want to be here. They go right at it off the opening bell. Triple H retreats to the floor where he gets hit with a swinging neckbreaker. Triple H then hits Cactus with a disgusting, despicable, vile chair shot to the head. This is just Shit. a full baseball swing. We are like two minutes into yeah. this match, and he takes a concussion, basically. Cactus pops back up. He puts a chair on Triple H's face and hits a leg drop. They fight onto the floor and into the crowd. Uh, they fight up in the alleyway, aisleway, and fight up the street set. Uh, I think the crowd actually started to chant boring here, probably because a lot of them couldn't really see what was going on. Yeah, there's no like, there's not a, a great like Titantron system yeah. in Madison Square Garden. Uh, Lawler does a good cover by saying they're chanting Foley. Yeah, they're chanting Boo Earns. <laughs> uh, Triple H suplexes Foley onto a wooden pallet. I believe this is where Triple H like got a pretty hefty chunk of wood in his leg. Oh, yeah. Literally, like, a piece of wood, like, four inches deep slices into his shin and just stays there. Yeah. And he just wrestles the rest of... 20 minutes after this. Again, we know that Triple H is a fucking badass because he's going to tear his quad, like, twice in the future and finish the match. But, like, this was... This was when we still thought he was pretty boy, no good, shithead Triple H. And this is the first example of, like, oh, actually, maybe he's a fucking badass. Foley hits him with a trash can. He runs him into the metal doors. Triple H comes out back with a back suplex onto the trash can. Cactus uh, throws him into the stairs and hits a knee to the face. Cactus then brings out the barbed wire two by four, but Triple H gets it away with him and beats him with it. That's the real barbed wire two by four. And then they do some kind of swap out where they switch to one with fake barbed wire before he hits Triple H with it. Yeah, the ones hitting Foley are real, real. And the ones you hitting see it Triple stick, it's sticking to his clothes. But the funny part about that is that Triple H was like, actually, it sucked way worse because yeah. they they basically like soldered it to the thing, so it was way stiffer than the actual wire <laughs> would normally be. So the next month they just used a real one. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's so funny that that hurt more. Yeah. Um, Cactus gets the two by four. He hits Triple H with it. Triple H blades an absolute gusher. Again, it, it can't be overstated at this point. This is stuff we've never seen this Triple H character oh. do. He's never been in this environment. We haven't seen barbed wire and shit like this in ages. 
Certainly not in a WWF championship match. Isn't Triple H actually a deathmatch wrestler? He always has been. All of Triple H's best matches were deathmatches. Every single one. Cactus sets up for a pile driver on the announce table, but Triple H backdrops him and the table, like, sort of breaks in half. It, like, breaks in such a way that they both fall to the floor. Like, that's when you can actually see, like, the fucking wood sticking out of Triple H's calf as he falls down. Back in the ring, Triple H sets up for a pedigree, but he gets catapulted into the corner. Cactus follows up with a bulldog on the barbed wire two-by-four. They go back to the floor. Cactus charges Triple H, but gets hip-tossed into the stairs. That is a horrific bump. Just the awful. sound of his hip hitting the stairs oh, is God. like, fuck. Imagine my shock that Mick Foley's had to have a hip replacement. So, did you watch this pay-per-view live when you were younger? Um, I don't think we got this one, unfortunately. Because I'm just, I, I want to know if, like, the first time you saw this, if you thought Cactus Jack might actually win. I don't remember what I thought at this point, actually. I don't, yeah, I can't remember what I was, I did, it did just seem like, oh, Triple H can't beat Cactus Jack. That's impossible. Because, like, at this point in the match, Triple H is getting his ass thoroughly whooped by Cactus Jack. Well, and it's like, we've already seen Triple H lose the title a couple times, and they change the title all the time, so it didn't seem that crazy that, like, Cactus would win here, and then maybe he would lose it before WrestleMania. It all seemed reasonable. Do you think he should have won here? Oh, that's. I think this should have been his retirement match. I mean, that's totally fair. I think that him retiring here at the Garden would have been perfect. But, I mean, knowing what they're going to do next month, no. would it make more sense for Jack to have won? Maybe, but, like, I don't I don't really like that Hell in a Cell match. I don't either. Besides, it, it, I think it should have happened it at flat. WrestleMania. Yeah. Uh, back in the ring, Triple H uses the 2x4 on Cactus's leg. He then brings handcuffs into the ring and cuffs Cactus. I don't know that we needed to revisit this. Like... Uh, obviously, it has only been one year since yeah. the most despicable fucking shit ever to happen in a wrestling match when The Rock handcuffed Mick Foley and then hit him unprotected like 15 times in the head with a chair. So, like, I know that we're shouting back to that, but boy, I could have lived my whole life without ever remembering that. Helmsley brings the steps into the ring, but Cactus manages to catch him with a drop toe hold. And then sort of elbow drops him in the junk. Yeah. Triple H hits a clothesline to retake control. He gets a chair, hits a shot to the stomach and the back. Cactus spills to the floor and stumbles up the aisle. Thankfully, they don't do the chair shots to the head. The first time I ever saw this match, I had not seen that other one. Oh. And thank God, because I would have been terrified in that moment that they were going to do that again. Even Mick was too smart to ever do that again. Yeah. Cactus begs Triple H to hit him. He winds up for the kill shot as The Rock comes out from backstage and nails Triple H with a chair. And at this point, a cop handcuffs, uncuffs Cactus. Should have been Jim Cornette with his handcuff key. He, like, springs out of the crowd. Always keep a key in your fanny pack. You got to. What if a cop arrests you? You got to be able to get away. I have not had enough experience with being arrested to need that knowledge, but Jim <laughs> that is, Cornette's different from me. 
irrefutable logic as a heel manager. A cop might arrest me, and this way I can get out of it. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Sure, that's why Jim Cornette had a handcuff key. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. (laughs) A likely excuse. Cactus hits a pile driver on the Spanish announce table, and then he spills thumbtacks all over the ring. This is when this match really goes to the next level. This has already been insane. Yeah, I didn't get this one on pay-per-view. I rented this one as soon as it came to Blockbuster, though. Let's be clear. Thumbtacks have never appeared on a major wrestling pay-per-view ever at this point. No, they use tacks in the Hell in a Cell with Foley and Taker. With Foley and Taker, that's true, that's true, you're right. So this is, I think, literally the second time it's ever been done. To but my as mind. awesome as that was, again, Foley was wearing a shirt there, and so is Cactus. But what we're about to see Triple H do has never appeared. Same. Stephanie shows up to beg for Triple H's life. Love that touch. It's so good. Cactus charges Triple H, and he gets backdropped onto the tax. Oh, my God. Oh, and, like, God. the stuff sticking out of his back is bad enough, but it's sticking oh, out of, like, his oh, elbow oh, and the back of his neck. Oh, tax scare the hell out of me. That's terrifying. I guess the trick is it's like a bed of nails. You distribute your weight, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot worse if you fall on one than a bunch, but this has still got to hurt. You're getting stabbed with a bunch of little needles. But again, he's wearing a shirt. Like, it's not the end of the world. Um, And he stands right back up because Cactus Jack doesn't give a fuck about tax. (laughs) Triple H pedigrees him, but Cactus kicks out. So then he pedigrees him on the tax. So the original finish to this match was supposed to be the first pedigree. Mick does not tell anyone, including Triple H, that he's going to kick out of that. So, like, the look on Triple H's face when he kicks out is genuine surprise. Like, what, is Foley going to shoot on me now? Wouldn't that be the funniest thought? Like, it's like being like, wait, Mick Foley's going to shoot on me? But no, and then Foley says, nah, man, pedigree me on the tax. And to Triple H's credit, he does not hesitate to perform the most brutal fucking move in the history of wrestling. Yeah, I wouldn't have done this because I would have been terrified that my uh, thumbtack is going to end up in my kneecap. And that's exactly what happens, is that like his legs are covered in the fucking thing. I I mean, he has knee pads on, but still, those knee pads are thin. But like, I... So this is where I have to tell an embarrassing story. When I was in middle school, we were asked to bring like a piece of media that meant a lot to us to one of my classes. I don't even remember what class it was. And I brought this match to show the class because I thought it was so fucking cool. And like I played it on the like the little like. This match is like 25 minutes long. I had actually at home edited it together and like. And like, I, yeah, I've been like experimenting with like editing little shit together. So I made like a highlight video set to, are you ready? Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Numb in the end. I I believe it was a paper cut actually. Um, And so I played it for these people. And at the moment where. Triple H pedigrees Cactus Jack on the tax. My teacher turned the TV off and sent me back to my seat. That sounds about right. Like, 
I was like, oh man, all the other kids are gonna love this shit. They did not. I was horrified. So that was that was the birth of little pervert Kyush realizing Jesus. he was weird in the eyes of the rest of the world. God, thumbtacks. This is maybe the worst. I mean, it's uh, he winds up being fine, but like this is think, the. Did Abyss go face first into the tax one time? Oh yeah, of course he did. Actually, he got his face slowly pressed into the tax one time. Yeah, but I mean, like. This is sick. Something about that doesn't seem as bad as this, because in kayfabe, he's taking the pedigree, which is the most devastating move anyone has ever done. Like, no one kicks out of the pedigree. (laughs) And he's taking it face first into tax. And the fact that you don't see his face connect like you do with Abyss makes it worse. worse. Your imagination takes over. Yeah. What if he got one in his eye? Like, that, that was a genuine concern. Apparently they like went through his cheek. I bet. Oh God. Yeah, the Undertaker didn't tombstone him on the tax in the Hell in a Cell match. Yeah. And I think he, he had a pad. And he had a pad on his back that time. Yeah. This is the real shit. So then Triple H wins this match, and he yep. is a bloody tack covered mess. Yeah. His like leg Stephanie yeah. pulls him out of the ring, and she's crying. And he's like, but in this moment, this makes Triple H. Has anyone ever been put over stronger than this? Like, not only did Triple H... Maybe Noki and Vader. Basically. Because, like, Triple H, the the shiny pretty boy who was not for real, has now beaten Cactus Jack at his own match. Beat the hardcore legend in a street fight at Madison Square Garden. And he did it clean. Yeah. There's no cheating. Foley, like, Rock interfered to help Foley. Yeah. Like, literally, like, Triple H did it. This is incredible. The fact that they thought that they could get another match out of this is preposterous, because, like, Triple H beats him, definitively. Yeah. It it doesn't feel like it really (laughs) had anywhere to go after this. The moment where Cactus sits up and he has the tax in his fucking face. And, like, you can literally see one, like, in the side of his head, like, one inch from his eye. And the crowd goes crazy for him. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, my opinion, five-star match. This is, for my money, one of the three best matches in WWE history to this point. Like, this is... Probably right. I, I can't... It's certainly different from it's, any other yeah, WWE Championship match ever. Like Brett and Davy Boy and like yeah, like the ladder match. But even the ladder match wasn't this kind of brutality. Like the only thing that's even close is Hart versus Austin, which I would say is the best match in WWE history. And like Michaels versus Taker is good too. But even those are like sanitized versions of this. Yeah. This is the first death match on a major scale in WWE history. God. Unbelievable. Cactus gets his heat back by beating up Triple H after the match and walking out under his own power. I think they stretchered Triple H out because his leg was gushing blood. Yeah, and I think that that's a good kind of 50-50 thing. Like, normally 50-50 booking sucks, but I do, like, that kind of works because Triple H did it and he's still put over. But, like, to show that, like, yeah, you may have beaten Cactus, but Cactus walks away. Like, you can't really hurt this man. (laughs) 
Then we go to Jonathan Coachman at WWF New York, and he interviews Linda McMahon, asking her about Stephanie's actions. She declines to comment and just says that they're going to handle things the McMahon way by having a fatal four-way match at WrestleMania, I guess. I fucking hated this because, like, I I felt like this did not adequately sell the match that has just happened. Like, Stephanie should not be concerned about other shit while her (laughs) husband is bleeding to death. Well, and, like, shouldn't, like, Linda be asked to comment on this brutal match we just saw? Like, wouldn't that have been better? Yeah. To be, like, and, and, like, Linda to be, like, Triple H has proven to be quite a champion, but he won't be champion for much longer, and that would have been fine. Back in the arena, they're cleaning the thumbtacks out of the ring. (laughs) Gotta clean those thumbtacks. If you're the first guy in the rumble, aren't you? Like, there better not be any fucking tacks still in there. <laughs> I would be, like, down on my hands and knees, like, brushing the ring, trying to find one. Finkel explains the rules. They show the finish of the 1995 Royal Rumble, where Shawn Michaels won by hanging on to the top rope. Now, you might say this is just to emphasize that both feet have to touch the floor. But little Steve would have contended this was the setup for Shawn Michaels to return in this Royal Rumble match. Little Steve absolutely would have thought that, wouldn't you? It makes sense, doesn't it? Why the fuck else are they showing this? This is five years ago. Well, I mean, we understand now that this is going to be the finish of this match. (laughs) Now we understand that, but we didn't at the time. Yeah, they had to be like, all right, we got to make sure these fuckers will understand this finish. We haven't done this since then. Like, but I'm like, wait, this means Shawn Michaels is going to come back. He's going to win the Royal Rumble and challenge Triple H for the title of WrestleMania. That actually would have kicked some ass. I I mean, they really should have. Again, if they could have gotten him instead of Foley, that would have been way better for the four-way. Yep. Now it's time for the Royal Rumble match. D'Lo Brown is the first entrant. And... Grandmaster Sexay is number two. Lawler says he's unlucky. JR responds saying he got a bad break at birth, but that's only a rumor. That's pretty funny. So begins the parade of jabronis. Got, so, like, this is probably the least star-filled Royal Rumble since the last one we discovered instead <laughs> of the one we did before with dick murdoch and sioni and yeah all kinds of other jabronis yeah at least these are like mid-card stars everybody hears at least a little bit of a name but every, everyone here feels very lame in a way that i can't express you know like even guys i've enjoyed other places like i like Delo, i like grandmaster sexy i like test really well yeah Headbanger Mosh comes out number three, wearing massive furry cones on his chest. Yeah. Kai and Ty run in. They're not part of the match, and they immediately get thrown out. I like that this is just supposed to be a little recurring bit, but something is going to happen later with it that will make it live on in infamy. Christian is number four. He comes out to really weird music. He does. He is also like... They're like after they're post brood, but pre anything. So this is just a jobber like Christian's nobody. Number five is Rikishi. He gets a giant pop. Rikishi is fucking over, bro. Yeah, already. He's only debuted like two months before this. 
I was having this thought, really, he's only debuted two months before this? He debuted in, like, December. No shit. Yeah. Yeah, he's I was having this thought as I was watching this Royal Rumble, and I was like, I've always desperately wanted them to pick one random Royal Rumble to have somebody random win. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? And, like, especially a Royal Rumble like this, where, like, it's so obvious that The Rock is going to win, and it would be so easy for them to, like, book around that later. Wouldn't it have been awesome for, like, Rikishi to win this shit? It would have been very interesting. It would have, I mean, you know, again, The Rock doesn't really need to win the Rumble. This is what I'm saying. Like, you can find another way for him to get to Triple H. Like, and you're doing a fatal four-way. Like, you could just put somebody else here in the Rumble and have them be in it. And I think, Rikishi to was, I think Rikishi was considered to be in the four-way before they Wouldn't decided to get Wouldn't that have been so interesting, back? though, to have, like, somebody, like, completely out of left field win the shit and just be yeah. like, what? Yeah, I'm trying to think. Since it became for the number one title, number one contender, like, who's been the most random winner of the Rumble? Probably Del Rio, and it wasn't Del that Rio random. or Sheamus. Sheamus, yeah. There have been a few that were kind of like, eh, but, yeah, nobody truly shocking. Vince was shocking, but that was in a different way. It should just, I just feel like there should be one year, and it could never happen now because it's too much of a production and the whole thing is built around WrestleMania. But like, this would have been such a great year to have like China win or like fucking like Kane or X Pac or just somebody like completely out of left field. Uh, Rikishi throws out Mosh, Christian, and D'Lo, so we're down to just him and Saxay. And then Scotty Too Hotty is number six in a remarkable coincidence. They come out. The glasses on him. And they're like, let's yeah. dance instead. <laughs> yep, and they do the get down. The lights go down. The get. It's amazing to recall when the get down was by far the most over thing in wrestling. Like, it wasn't even fucking close. Like, the lights would go down, yeah. and this they would start shittily dancing, and the crowds <laughs> would lose their fucking mind. They had to do this on every single show, and they would always find ways to integrate new people into it. I'm sure this was the post-show segment for this entire year. Yeah, basically the idea was in kayfabe that, like, Rikishi did not like Grandmaster no. Sexay and Scotty Tuati, but when they put the glasses yeah. on... Basically, it tamed the beast, and suddenly he was a dancing fool. And so if they put the glasses on, like, The Undertaker, he, too, would become a dancing fool. I'm sure they never got The Undertaker. They did get The Undertaker to do a spin rooney one time. Yeah, famously, they tried to get The Undertaker to do a spin rooney on, like, the post-show matches for, like, months. And then they yeah. finally, like, had half the roster come out and block the exit so he couldn't leave. Uh, then Rikishi throws both Scotty and Grandmaster out of the ring. Fantastic moment. Gets a huge pop from the crowd. And then Rikishi dances alone. Funnily enough, like, I feel like Rikishi could have calmed the distance here, but here's no way he could have fucking lasted that long. That would have been a lot to ask of the big man. <laughs> Steve Blackman comes down number seven, and Rikishi hits him with the Rikishi driver and eliminates him. Fucking Rikishi drivers like maybe the stiffest finish anyone in WWE has this time. Move. How are they letting him do that this soon after Owen Hart almost killed Steve Austin? After Draws was paralyzed yeah. and all of this shit, like I, I don't he didn't know. do it for long. It's actually pretty fucking safe because he's got him on the shoulder, so there's only so far they can drop, you know. Yeah. 
And he's, so his, like legs are, his legs are so big. His legs and his ass are so big that there's a lot of room between yeah. them. Like the having them over the shoulder thing like makes it so he's gonna, they're going to bounce up. Like they're not yeah. going to hit. It was, like, yeah, that makes the, sense. the Owen version with the pump handle is a lot more dangerous. Yeah, the problem is, is that with the Owen version, their Tilt person's forward. own weight goes yeah. on their neck. Viscera is number eight. That actually gets a really big pop when the crowd realizes it's the two hosses against each other. We'd love to see meat slapping meat, baby. <laughs> and then Rikishi throws him out. Hell yeah, Rikishi's ruling the ring. Number nine is Big Boss Man, and he refuses to get in the ring. Love that. Great. Test is number 10. Really big pop for Test here. Look, I know that Test sucks, but was it a missed opportunity to not try to do something with Test? Yeah, they should have actually, they should have had an actual feud between him and Triple H. The, I think it kind of killed him that they just like they just blew him off. Like, that Survivor Series match probably just should have been Triple H versus Test. <laughs> or Armageddon instead of Triple H versus Vince. Like, it just it just would have made more sense. Actually, that makes way more sense, because yeah. then Stephanie can turn on Test turn on instead test. of his dad. Yeah, but yeah. yeah but as I you know, know, in the mind of Vince, the real romance was between him and his daughter. <laughs> yeah, that's the, it's just amazing how much Test got completely free. Like, he's just such an afterthought. Like, it's like we barely even think about the fact that his fiance abandoned him. Literally, he's going to be in, like, a, a tag team with Albert, like, three months from now. He's like, going to be a henchman for Triple H. That's the wildest part. Like, why would he ever agree to that? <laughs> well, his BFF Shane is with Triple H. That is the thing. The the through line that after the lover or lever match, Test yeah. and Shane become lifelong best friends is so good. Whichever side, like, Shane is on, like, whichever side one of them is on, the other is with them. Automatically. Bulldog is number 11 in his dad jeans. Oh, God. Is it just me or has he shrunk like three inches too? Like he gets in the ring here and he looks like a child. Yeah. But he had spinal problems, so it may have actually shrunk him. Yeah. Like he just looks like he's like 5'8. He looks bad and puffy and he's in jeans and boots. Gangrel is number 12. Kai and Ty run back in and get thrown out again. This time Taka takes a horrible bump as he lands face first on the floor. Just face plants on the floor breaks his nose now obviously this became like one of the most famous wrestling gifs yeah. of all time but like the way jerry lawler keeps maniacally going back yes. to it throughout the course of it's the like, come on show it again it's clear that jerry's bored with this boring ass rumble so every like 10 minutes he keeps being like hey can we see that taka thing again edge is number 13 big pop for him this was weird. Why yeah. the fuck is there such a huge pop for Edge? I have no idea. Did people think it was... No, people didn't think it was Jericho because they have music this time. Yeah, I don't know. Ladies I was, actually, them. I was actually thinking, like, if you're going to, like, have somebody re- truly, truly random win the Royal Rumble, Edge. maybe Edge? <laughs> like, wouldn't that be something? What about number 14, Mr. Bob Backlund? No! <laughs> 50 years old at this point. Still in great shape. He's in phenomenal shape here. 
Uh, everybody gangs up on Rikishi and manages to eliminate him. Nice run. Yeah, great run. He looked great. Until that point, literally nothing has happened for like the last 15 minutes of this Royal Rumble. Like there's nothing in ring that has taken place. Chris Jericho is number 15. He eliminates Backlund with a drop kick and Backlund leaves through the crowd. I yep. don't know. He saw a pervert out there. He needed to go take care of it. <laughs> Crash Holly is number 16. China's number 17. Uh, China suplexes Jericho out of the ring, but then Boss Man eliminates her. That's really fast to have China get thrown out here. But I mean, but, she already wrestled the match. Like, yeah, I just I don't know how many would all the guys, how many of the guys on the roster would sell for her, work with her. I don't think it's everybody. I think you're probably right. This is why, like, I would think I think that honestly, if I was booking this match, I would have her come out number thirty. The Rock and the Big Show are like in the ring and they eliminate each other, or like maybe she like pushes oh, that's them both an idea. out. And then it's just her and she wins. The same way like the corporate Royal Rumble ended, right? I love how and desperate then, you are for anything else to have happened in this match other I, than what be, actually happened. Because it's so fucking boring, Steve. <laughs> oh, Farouk is number 18. The Mean Street Posse hit the ring to attack him, and that allows Boss Man to eliminate him. It is at this point that I think that we should bring up the people who were supposed to be in this match. So... The Mean Street Posse in its entirety was supposed to be in this fucking match, as were both members of Kai and Tai, Midian, Headbanger Thrasher, and Mark Henry. They wow. were supposed to be there instead of Jericho, China, Hardcore Holly, the New Age Outlaws, and the APA, and Bob Backlund. Do you understand how oh shitty God. this match would be? Now, on the plus side, we would have gotten to hear the Mean Street Posse theme three times. Three times? Yeah. Maybe in a row. I'm sure they all would have come out in a row. Like, well, how long could Pete Gas have really lasted in the Royal Rumble? Yeah, he doesn't have the Pete Gas for that. I love that Pete Gas and Rodney were literally Shane's friends. Yeah, they just pretended like Joey Abs was, so like a wrestler would be there to watch <laughs> they over there. Somebody who could actually wrestle. Um. Road Dog at number 19. He spends the entire match laying on the mat, holding on to the bottom rope. The Jerry Lawler special. Genius. El Snow number 20 as Road Dog eliminates Bulldog. Hmm. Val Venus number 21. Bigger pop than I was expecting. I thought Val Venus was already done by this point, which he no, pretty much is. No, he still but... got his right to say. He's still with the company for years. No, no, I know. I meant, like, oh. as terms of anyone giving a shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, Funaki runs back in. He gets tossed out again. Yep. Taka Al- doesn't, because Taka's in the hospital. He's dead. Albert's number 22. At this point, Edge gets eliminated by Snow and Venus. This is uh, Prince Albert, when all he is is hairy with piercings. Yeah. In a singlet. Yeah. Uh, they made him the boss man's henchman for reasons I can't really remember. And weren't they a team at WrestleMania or something like that? No, that was Bull Buchanan was Bull and Buchanan. boss Buchanan, yeah. Just interchangeable big guys. Hardcore Holly is number 23. Well, if the Rumble was real, he would beat everybody. Beat everybody and win the belt. 
He stays in the rumble for 12 minutes, eliminates no one. He's just here. <laughs> that's hard. That's very hardcore, Holly. Yeah. Number 24 is The Rock. Thank God someone interesting. They waited way too long to bring The Rock into this match. They probably should have had him be the first guy to, like, last with Rikishi. Realistically, like, this is the first Rumble, I think, to this point, and one of the very few, where nobody goes half an hour in the Rumble. The longest is Test, who makes it 26 minutes. I didn't realize that. That's unusual. So like it, it's weird not to have Rock come out at like number twelve and like be the star of the middle of this match and then already be tired when show comes in because that makes way more sense for the plot of this match. Billy Gunn is number twenty five as Rock eliminates Crash Holly. That's one big obstacle past. <laughs> and Matt, luckily Mosh was already gone. Yeah, thank thank God, Headbanger Mosh was already eliminated. Wouldn't it have been a great spot if, like, Crash Holly had thrown him over the ropes, but, like, the rocket, like, skidding the cat? <laughs> he, like, like tripped over Crash. <laughs> God damn it, I knew it! Oh, Big Show comes out number 26. He eliminates Test with a big boot, and he dumps Gangrel. God, he looks so bad. In his terrible. His shorts, and his cut-off t-shirt, and his long, greasy hair. It's just for them to be making him like the big alternative to the rock is like, so I don't understand why it couldn't have been like Kane or somebody like, but then again, Kane's not doing shit. So that doesn't make sense. No, I mean, big show was just the world champion and he's a newly turned (sighs) heel. Sadly, those are true facts. Uh, Bradshaw comes in number 27, the mean street posse interfere again and Bradshaw beats them up. But then the outlaws sneak up on Bradshaw and eliminate him. Aww. Uh, Kane comes out number 28. He's got his girlfriend Tori backing him up. He throws Val out. Godfather comes out number 29 to one of the biggest pops of the night. They're finally happy just to see somebody they like. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kane eliminates Albert, and then Funaki runs in again and once again gets thrown out. This was the point where it went back to being funny after it had gotten old the previous time. You say, if you push through not funny, eventually you'll find funny again. Uh, We know that X-Pac is the 30th entrant because he won a match on SmackDown to get that spot. Yep. So we've got X-Pac, Big Show, Rock, Godfather, Snow, Hardcore Holly, Billy Gunn, Kane, and Road Dog. And then we just start getting people out of there. Holly, Godfather, Snow, Road Dog, and Gun all in quick succession. And we're down to the final four. We've got Rock, Big Show, Kane, and X-Pac. Like, if you were watching this live, you'd be like, well, it's The Rock. So we can just go, you can go to bed. They really should have put the street fight on last. Yeah. I think that would have helped this show. Um, Kane gets thrown under the bottom rope and he gets, he fights the outlaws on the floor. Rock throws X-Pac out, but the referees don't see it because they're dealing with the fight. So X-Pac gets back in. Kane hits an Inseguri and body slams Big Show. Love that. 
But then X-Pac kicks him in the face and it knocks him over the top rope. X-Pac with yeah. one kick propels Kane over the top rope. Show throws Pac out with a press slam and we're down to Rock and Big Show. People's elbow by Rock. Rock tries to toss him out, but Show catches him with the showstopper. Show gets Rock up on his shoulders and he goes to dump him out, but Rock catches the rope and Big Show goes over the top to the floor and Rock is the winner. Now, here's the thing, though. The whole idea here is that Rock is going to grab the ropes and, like, dangle his feet close to the floor just like Shawn Michaels famously did in 1995. Here's the problem. He fails. He's also six inches taller than Shawn Michaels. Like, this is a much more difficult for him than it would have been for Shawn. Yeah, way more. Because Shawn could just, like, hang full extension and, like, like, reach his foot out. Rock goes full extension. His feet accidentally touch, and he's just like, whoops, sorry, didn't mean to do that. Yeah. So I think that led them to do the storyline that they ended up doing. I honestly think if that doesn't happen, then Big Show probably doesn't wind up in that (laughs) fatal four-way at WrestleMania. That probably did get him the WrestleMania main event. Unfortunately for him, the director of the Scorpion King was watching this, and this was how he was going to decide who to cast in his movie. <laughs> He's like, oh, Brock beat Big Show, so yeah, can't be yeah, Big Show. Be, Sorry about that. Brock, yes. If fucking Big Show was the star of Scorpion King. Oh, he did get to play Captain Insano in The Water Boy. He sure did. I, I'm surprised at no point in his career did he ever play Captain Insano in the WWF. They might, he might. I wonder if they asked and they couldn't get the rights. Cause yeah. like, I genuinely wonder why not. <laughs> that would have been very, like, especially back when he was doing like imp- impressions he was doing impersonations every week. <laughs> yeah. It was like, he could have come out as captain <laughs> insane out one week. Hell yeah. Get like Pete gas is the Adam Sandler water boy. Love that. Uh, so yeah, that was a very bad Royal rumble. Um, is that your least favorite of all time? It is. This is my least favorite Royal Rumble. And it's not because the people in it are the shittiest, but it's the lowest energy Royal Rumble of all time. Literally, no one... the only interesting thing they did was the get down. Yeah. After Rikishi does the get down, there's not one single interesting thing that happens in the ring until the finish, which is the sloppiest and shittiest finish in Rumble yeah. history. It's uh, and it's the most in not in doubt rumble winner I've ever seen, even more so than like Triple H and O2, which was pretty fucking set in stone. This one definitely needed somebody good coming in early and lasting the whole time. Like that would have been a perfect role for Jericho, except for the fact that he already had a match tonight. Yeah, they just taken that match out. But also they didn't have that faith in him at the time. Like, I, I don't know that there's anybody on this roster who's a great fit for that. Maybe Kurt would have been a good fit for that. Yeah. That's interesting, at least. Yeah, Kurt got his ass choked out by Taz in the opener. Yeah. Like, maybe it's interesting if, like, Kurt... Oh, God, save me for saying this out loud. What if Kurt comes in number one, eliminates everyone, and then 13 is Taz? Oh, now we're talking. That's interesting. And then Taz just chokes his ass out and tosses him out. 
And then the next one's like The Rock, and The Rock can throw him out, and that's okay. Rock celebrates. He gets on the mic. He says, finally, The Rock is going to WrestleMania. And then Big Show comes back and attacks him and throws him over the top rope. I'm sure that that was like an audible that they called. Because they were like, somebody backstage is like, oh, his feet touch. We got to do something. Big Show throw him out. It's it could I mean there's a reason they never show it from the other angle on the broadcast here. Oh, it's embarrassingly obvious yeah. how his feet don't just touch, they like clatter against the ground. God. Yeah. So of course they end up doing the storyline where Big Show has to show progressively more and more proof to prove like first he first he gets a security guard who says that he th- thinks that Rock's feet hit the ground. Then he gets photos, and then he gets video, and finally Triple H believes him. Yep. It's a very funny storyline where Triple H keeps just, like, dragging him along. And then finally Triple H is like, all right, I believe you, I just don't care. (laughs) (laughs) And then he makes, you know, Rock wrestle Big Show for the WrestleMania title shot and No Way Out, which should just be the way it works anyway. I think we're both in favor of, like, the New Japan system of, like, you got to defend the shit if you got it. Like, if you win the Money in the Brink briefcase, you should periodically have to defend that shit. If you, like, if you don't cash it in until Survivor Series, you got to defend that shit at Survivor Series. Say, like, at No Way Out, you should have to defend the Royal Rumble win. You should. They they do it frequently enough that they might as well. And it will allow them to have swerve winners. Like, you could have somebody unexpected win. And then just lose their title shot. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying is that like if Edge wins this shit or if China wins this shit, they can either get their match against Triple Eight. They can either come on on Raw and be like, no, I want that shit tonight. Or they can like have to face like The Rock at No Way Out because like he got screwed in some ways or shape or form. I just really want it to be on the book somewhere that somebody won who we didn't know was going to win ahead of time. So, yeah, a wrap on this show. Love the undercard, don't like the rumble. Overall, still a really good show. Literally every single fucking thing on this show is irrelevant because the mat- the world title match on this show is one of the best matches in company history. The Hardy Boys uh, and versus Dudley Boys is fucking iconic, and Taz tears the house down. Beyond that, who gives a shit? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, a show I very much enjoyed uh, revisiting, especially fun to watch the TV that led up to this one. Absolutely. So yeah, next time we'll jump forward another five years and cover the Royal Rumble 2005. Uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about with that one. Mostly Vince blowing his quads. This is the dawn of a new era. The yeah. moment they decide we're going to launch a new generation built around our new two top stars, Batista and John Cena. The future looks so bright. And then they fuck up the finish. <laughs> yeah, again, again, again. <laughs> in the most wild, that? in the most impossible way you could possibly fuck up a Royal Rumble finish a way completely implausible and perfect. You couldn't have done it if you tried. Like we also they never could have pulled that off. They've been trying to. 
We also have Triple H burying Randy Orton so deep down that he thought he'd never see his ass again. Yeah, like, might as well have just killed him. Plus the Undertaker versus Heidenreich. In a casket match. And Edge versus Shawn Michaels in a fucking incredible match. Yeah, plenty to talk about. This is going to be a fun one. This is... I remember very little of what was going on at this time. It's kind of a blank spot for me. I only remember the beginning of this rumble and I remember nothing else about it. So I'm looking really forward to this. So yeah, we'll have all that more next time on the law cast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.